You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're going to be getting to our special guest this week in just a second. Before we do, just want to remind you, you can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. You can get it on iHeartRadio. It's on the Megaphone platform as well as uh, YouTube, CincyJungle.com. So get this show and others how you can. We appreciate you tuning in. We appreciate you subscribing and uh, interacting for those of you watching live, interacting with us and other Bengals fans in doing so. I want to get to our special guest, as I mentioned, it is James Rapine of 92.3, the fan in Cleveland, formerly with ESPN Cincinnati. James, you're you're a busy man, but how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me. What's yeah, well, th- thanks for making the time. You're you're at uh, the the stadium for the the Cavaliers talking some Browns. Bengals as we preview week 14 I always think I'm a pretty busy guy but then I, I get in touch with you I see your timeline you are you are a busy man uh, it's uh it's fun life goes fast I've been in uh you mentioned the transition to Cleveland today is my one year anniversary since starting up here in Cleveland so the, the year has flown by for sure but uh it's fun it's fun no doubt about it no no way it's today today oh that's today awesome my year since I, I started at 923 The Fan. Oh, that's awesome. So, Congratulations. It's flown. Thanks, man. It is flown for sure. Well, I, I said this before we got you on the air. We, I, I mean, aside from you being a great guy and always being so cordial coming on to the coming on this show, um, we love having you on because you bring a perspective from both covering the Bengals and covering the Cleveland Browns. Um, so you bring kind of a, a more unique perspective, and you are one of our favorite guests, so we're happy to have you with us. Let's kind of just dive right in as the two teams square off this Sunday. I think the theme for both teams has to be not living up to expectations, particularly for Cleveland and the the massive haul that they brought in in terms of free agents, trades, all that stuff. What What's kind of the the attitude surrounding the team right now, given the fact that they're, you know, they've got seven losses already. Yeah. I mean, it's frustration. Frustration. I think the fan base is frustrated. I think they're, uh, it, it, to the Browns, you got to think the Browns are where the Bengals were in like that 04, 05 season. And it really felt like they, that this year was going to be their 05. Like last year was 04. They got seven, nine or seven, eight, one. They had the first round quarterback, the, the coach that they find, and, and that's it's really been the difference, I think, um, is, is Marvin, for all of his faults, balanced the Bengals and, and brought discipline to the Bengals. Freddie Kitchens hasn't done that with the Browns. He hasn't brought discipline. He hasn't brought a standard uh, of maturity that this team, this young team, very talented, but this young team needed, that a young quarterback like Baker Mayfield needed 
play calling has been suspect as well. So I think that the fan base is frustrated. They're sick and tired of, of being disappointed year in and year out, especially now when the Browns do have talent. It's not like it's Hugh Jackson uh, coaching a, a bunch of bombs here and Kevin Hogan playing at Paul Brown Stadium like right. it was a couple of years ago. No, this, is, this is a team with a ton of talent. I, I mean, they arguably have more talent than any team they've played this year uh, so far outside of a couple teams. And yet here they are at 5-7. and seven. Uh, You have the t-shirt thing where he wears the t-shirt about Pittsburgh started it, which was just a total joke, and I can't believe a head coach would do that. Uh, but, but that's why they are 5-7, and seven. and I wouldn't be shocked at all. I would move on from them because I, I don't buy into it. Uh, I'm not sure if they're going to and the, the Browns are going to because they want continuity, but it's, uh, it's been a nightmare year. For Freddie Kitchens, for sure. So let's, I mean, there's a couple ways to segue off of that. I guess we'll continue on with Freddie Kitchens talk. Uh, Shirtgate, I guess. I don't know what you want to call that thing. But, um, you know, what I found funny was, you know, the, the, the Steelers, if they were to do something like that, you know, it would be, uh, you know, because it's the Steelers, they would be able to get away with it. And their track record is of success. I don't think many people would blink too much of an eye. Whereas, you know, the Browns and new head coach and all of that, um, you know, it comes under further scrutiny. I mean, is this is this a year that is is pretty much squarely the the, the lack of living up to expe- expectations? Is that pretty much squarely on Freddie Kitchens' shoulders? Uh, for me, yes. Now, depending on who you ask, that that answer could vary for a variety of reasons. One, the Browns' offensive line, while it hasn't been as bad as the Bengals' offensive line this year, it's still been bad. And they've been healthier than the Bengals line has, right? And, and so the past couple of years, I've felt like a, a broken record talking about how the Bengals can't fix their offensive line issues. Well, now the Browns have the same issues. So you could blame John Dorsey for that and the fact that he traded um, Kevin Zeitler, who we're both familiar with, is one of the elite guards, or really high-end guards in the NFL. The fact that he traded him away for a pass rusher, it, it, if it works out, that's fine. It didn't work out. And, and there was no one really that was able to step up. He whipped on a, a second-round guard out of Nevada in Austin Corbett. They already traded him to the Rams. They drafted him uh, in the 2018 draft. So you could blame Dorsey some for the roster construction. But I think any first-year head coach, including me, like if, if, if I got hired to be a head coach, I had to start with Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, then on the other side, Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett and Larry Okunjobi, and I could just keep going on and on and on. You know, Sheldon Richardson, like, that's a great place to start, right? And you should win games. So the roster isn't perfect. John Dorsey certainly takes some of that blame. And he's the one who hired Freddie Kitchens. So you could blame him for that as well. Uh, but, but, yeah, I, I think Freddie Kitchens is, for me, the, the number one reason why the Browns have been so underwhelming this season. Talking with James Rapine of 92.3, the fan in Cleveland, formerly of ESPN Cincinnati. Great to have him on previewing week 14, talking Browns, Bengals, is this is the the kitchens thing? I mean, is that merely a an issue of a guy in a, having the inability to manage egos, the amount of egos? I mean, or is it is it just too much, too soon, unproven guy? This this Browns team needed maybe like a guy who just came on the market, a Ron Rivera, um, somebody that has been there, done that, and managed big egos. Is that is that probably what's going to be needed, or is this is this a thing where? You know, this was a one-year experiment, a lot of high-priced talent. It's not working. Maybe blow some of it up. Yeah, I I think the talent can work. Like, to me, Odell Beckham Jr. works anywhere. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. works with Joe Burrow and the Bengals next year. He works 
with the New York Giants and uh, in, in any quarterback you want to draft. You know what I'm saying? Like, he works anywhere, but you need the, the right play caller. So, to me, I'm, I'm with you in, in what you said at first. They need someone to come in and stabilize things. Freddie Kitchens was a running backs coach, a position coach, last year up until Hugh Jackson got fired. Then he gets elevated. The schedule loosens up. Baker Mayfield plays really well against, again, just okay to, to below-average opponents, including the Bengals with Jeff Driscoll playing six of those quarters. Uh, so it's it's one of those things where he got elevated too quickly, and he's yeah. clearly in over his head. Like, in my mind, it's, it's a no-brainer. Like, it, it's... And it's a theme across the NFL now to give these offensive minds the keys to the organization and be the head coach. But to me, what the Browns needed is something they haven't had in two decades, which was stability. It wasn't necessarily – and I questioned the hire. I was one of the only ones that questioned the hire in Cleveland. I'm not shooting my own horn, but it was just like, yeah, Freddie Kitchens has zero experience. By the way, I questioned the Zach Taylor hire too when it happened. I, I was like, man, no experience. I get it. He had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay. I don't know. So, so to me, I, I'm always on the, the side of experience. So Ron Rivera, uh, certainly. I, I think our old buddy Marvin Lewis would have eight wins oh boy. the Browns right now, oh at, boy. at least. And people are flinching and laughing at that, probably. But I've watched him for 16 years, and then I just watched Freddie Kitchens coach 12 games. I just think he would get more out of the talent that this team has. So that's why I would move on from him. Um, we'll, we'll see what the Browns do. You know, if, if I'm a Bengals fan, I'm rooting for Freddie Kitchens to stay and hang around for one more year because uh, it's, to me, he's not going to figure it out. It, it, and it's because he jumped from position coach to head coach. And there's a reason that you're a coordinator for multiple years before that usually happens. And it's because there's growing in between there. Yeah. That just, just didn't happen. Man, can you imagine if Marvin headed over to Cleveland next year? Wow. Uh, I don't think I don't think I, I think his ties to you would eliminate that. Right. I do know Marvin wants to get back in the NFL. You know, I, I think Washington is certainly a place for him. Mm. Um, and he obviously coached there as a, a DC way back in the day. So who, who knows? But yeah. uh, th- that that just explains my level of frustration with Kitchens. If I for years was like, man, they should probably move on with Marvin. And I'm like, man, if Marvin with them in Cleveland, they would be uh, set up for much better success this year than, than they've had with Kitchens. Yeah. The the, the Browns really kind of, uh, and rightfully so, they, they hung a lot of their hopes on Baker Mayfield. He's kind of been up and down, to say the least, this year. Um, you know, I, I think that gives some Bengals fans maybe a little bit of pause as they potentially look at a rookie quarterback this year. And, you know, you look at maybe the quote-unquote sophomore slump. Talk, talk a little bit about Baker. Was this... Was he another guy that kind of, you know, the, the fame kind of came too too fast, too soon, too much ego, veteran egos on the team to handle? Um, or or is this just more Kitchen's indictment? It, it's a mixture. It, it's a mixture. Because uh, I know, well, let's start with the ego thing. Because it's very, it's very easy to see Baker Mayfield, even if you don't watch the Browns, because he's got 52 commercials. Right, so <laughs> that that's been talked about. He, he, he put himself out there, and when you put yourself out there, you are opening yourself up for criticism. It is just that simple. You know, if you uh, say, "Oh, I'm feeling dangerous," and you have that swag, that's great, and it's great when it's going well. But we saw it with Chad Johnson, right? Like when it when it works, it's fun and it's great. But when it doesn't, then you're going to get criticized because you're not all in. And, and I think that's. That's the concern a little bit is, is that that ego 
Baker Mayfield feels like he arrived to a degree. And I think there is some concern in the organization that he feels entitled, and yet he's 11-14 and 14 as a starter. I, I don't think anyone denies his talent. I mean, I, I think he's extremely talented, extremely accurate, but you also need to work your tail off. Like, it's not enough to be talented. There are plenty of quarterbacks that are talented uh, that go first overall. But it's even harder when you go first overall to a, an organization much you know, much like the Bengals of the '90s, that has been so bad for so long, has been dysfunctional. He's got to overcome that. So anything less than 110 percent work ethic and 110 percent buy-in isn't enough to, to turn around the Browns. Uh, so I, I think, from a personal standpoint, that's where he's at. Obviously, the numbers aren't good. Part of that's offensive line. I think part of that's the playmakers uh, or the play calling. Excuse me, not putting the playmakers in a position to succeed. Odell Beckham Jr. goes long stretches without even being targeted. And, and I think that's as much play design as it is on Baker, even more so play design in, in, in on Kitchens than it is on Baker. So there's a lot of things they need to clean up. And that's, that's another reason why I'd probably move on from Kitchens is because you've got to find someone that can get the most out of Baker Mayfield. And we've seen this year, unlike last year, he hasn't been able to do that. They, they need to prove the line. They need to improve a couple things around him. But, uh, yeah, they, they need to figure out a way to make this work. And, and I, I'll tell you this. I know people question the pick and all that stuff. Uh, I think the Bengals had Baker Mayfield. I, I have this on good accord. Bengals had Baker Mayfield number one on their board in that draft. Uh, I know Hugh Jackson was on board with it. John Dorsey obviously was. So th- there were a lot of people on the Baker train and believed in him. The Patriots had him high on their board. So it, they got to get the most out of him. I think he can fix it in Cleveland you got to set him up for success. And I don't think you do that by putting him behind a, the 25th-ranked offensive line and, and hire the guy he wanted. He was a Freddie Kitchens believer. That doesn't mean you hire him. Uh, and the Browns did. And I don't think that that was uh, obviously not the way to go since they're 5-7. So on the other side of the fence, uh, you mentioned an argument, really, that um, uh, people have used for the last couple of seasons to defend Andy Dalton as a Cincinnati Bengals starter. It's been a whirlwind season for him. It's been a tumultuous season for Zach Taylor in his first um, his first season as Bengals head coach. I mean, is 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 this a, another scenario much like Baker in Cincinnati? Do you feel that it's hey Dalton hasn't got his fair shake, or is it you know what we've seen eight years of Andy Dalton? We know what we're getting from Andy Dalton. The Bengals are poised to have a top five pick. Let them get another quarterback and go from there. Yeah, it's time. It's time for a new quarterback. Like. Did anyone feel on Monday night that Kirk Cousins was going to beat Russell Wilson? No. <laughs> no one did. Even, even though the Vikings roster, the offensive line's great. They have great running back. They have great receivers. They have great tight end, Kyle Rudolph, Cincinnati native, by the way. You know, they have all this great talent on defense. Kendricks and all these guys. And yet, everyone was like, yeah, Seattle's going to get it done because they have Russell Wilson and the Vikings don't. No. All right? So, so this is the Bengals' chance. I mean, they've missed it. You know, they didn't even entertain quarterbacks back in 17. And I know I was really high, and I'm still high on John Ross. But the fact that they didn't even entertain a Deshaun Watson, no one was entertaining Pat Mahomes that early except the Chiefs. But no one even, they didn't even look at Watson. That makes you pull your hair out, right? You know, two years ago, the Lamar Jackson thing. I totally wanted Lamar Jackson, but they completely, even though they brought him in for a visit, they made it known right afterwards that they weren't going to take Lamar Jackson uh, with the 21st pick. So, this is their chance now to get a, a stud at quarterback. That's what they got to do. You know, you can find pass rushers, and they've done that. You know, I think Carlos done that. They found those guys in the middle rounds. 
uh, Sam Hubbard as well is, is looking pretty promising, right? So they, this idea that they can't find pass rushers later, they can do that. Uh, offensive linemen, well, they've drafted those guys in the first round because I've heard a case for, for that. Well, they've done that, and it hasn't necessarily worked out. Let's try the quarterback and, and invest in improving offensive linemen and free agency. It doesn't mean huge contracts or spend like drunken sailors, but that, that's what I think the Bengals should do uh, to address some of the weaknesses. But uh, to me, it's it's Burrow, if that's who they feel like. And I still think Tua should be in that mix. Um, but, but it's really dicey with that injury. He was number one for me uh, until that hip injury. But uh, still, Joe Burrow, he looks, to me, Anthony, and I know I'm rambling, he looks a lot like a taller, bigger baker. Hmm. Because he's fire, he's fiery, extremely athletic. He's a leader. Um, he, he went into LSU and he quickly became like the face of that program. Might win a Heisman. Uh, and the thing with Baker, right, was how accurate he was. Well, that's what Burrow is, but he's 6'4", you know? So yeah. I, I think uh, I, I think he's a guy that uh, the Bengals certainly have to, to seriously, seriously consider. And if there aren't any red flags, and we don't know of any, uh, then take him first overall. And, and they, they shouldn't screw this up. They should still keep the first pick. So I don't want top five. got to get the number one pick here. Yeah, probably to get him, you are correct. Talking with James Rapine of 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland, formerly of ESPN Cincinnati, talking Browns, Bengals as the two face off this week. We're just going to spend another uh, minute or so with him. Uh, you know, it did just quickly on Zach Taylor, you, you've made your feelings known on Freddie Kitchens, his rise to head coach and it not working in Cleveland. Different set of circumstances for Zach Taylor. And do you give him a bigger pass than you do Kitchens? Or do you see a similar path where, you know what, there still are some valuable veterans on this Bengals team and they need to think about really making a change at coach already one year in, or, or are they just rebuilding and they need to give him more time? Yeah. So I'll preface this by saying I haven't watched as much as I have in the past. I mean, in the past I would watch every game and then half of the games again, you know, and <laughs> catch parts of them after I watched them. I've watched probably 90, 90 to 95% of the snaps live this year or right afterwards. So I still watch a lot of Bengals football, but I'm keeping my, keeping tabs on, on the team. Um, I'll say this, Zach Taylor, his number one pick goes down to Jonah Williams. Cordy Glenn, that whole situation. So now the offensive line is suddenly awful because you got Bobby Hart and Andre Smith. I can't believe Andre Smith was in the league up until what last week or right. before. In- insane. Uh, so that's that's extremely tough to overcome. Early on, what did I see? Well, I, I saw an offense that finally figured out how to use John Ross, even without AJ Green on the field. Right. So he's already had to overcome Green. Um, I-, I saw a quarterback in Andy Dalton who was near the top of the league in passing yards for the first four or five weeks. It might have even been longer than that. Um, and, and I made my feelings known about Andy, but the point is, is given small sample sizes, I thought that Taylor showed some signs. But much, this isn't like a Freddie Kitchen situation. This is more like a, a Hugh Jackson situation when he got to Cleveland. And the fact that the talent is either not there at spots, like tackle, or it's injured at wide receiver. Mm. It's injured at tackle. It's injured on the offensive line. So, so I think, yeah, certainly they, they need to improve a linebacker, improve on the offensive line, and improve in areas. But I don't I don't think you can move on from a guy like Taylor after one year, especially after I just watched them fight like hell against the Jets the other day. You know, mm. it's not like they're not playing hard. Ross returns from IR. I know he's damn excited to get out there this week, even though they have one win. You know, A.J. Green, from what I've heard, and I know there's a lot of speculation, is still trying to come back this year. So I think they're bought in still, 
and, and I think when you you draft again and if you're a little bit more active in free agency and, and you make some of these with the right moves, maybe you use Andy Dalton's money to boost that offensive line. You know, and you move off of him and, and you use that to boost the linebacking core, maybe a, a, a cornerback and move on from Dre because that's overpriced at this stage. You can do that and then you see how good Zach Taylor is. I didn't like the move because he was inexperienced, but that doesn't mean that because they only have one win, I'm willing to move on from him after a year because I just don't know if he's good or not. And, and giving him more talent and hoping for health uh, is certainly a way to do that. Yeah, a little bit of different set of circumstances dealt to Kitchens and Taylor, to be sure. Uh, how do you see? How do you see the first? Uh, usually, these teams have squared off already once by this time, but uh, first, first go around this week. How do you see it playing out? Do the do the Browns kind of right the ship, or are the Bengals kind of headed it for one of their patented late season hot streaks when it doesn't even matter? <laughs> yeah, I I actually have a feeling this game could be close. Hmm. That the key to it. Is, is early on with a Browns team. You, you gotta, you can't let them get on a roll. And I know they did against the Steelers, and then it kind of fell apart. But when you only have one win and you're the Bengals, you cannot get down ten nothing. Like the, if you receive that kickoff, you got to find a way to go down and get points because that that will take some of that energy out of a a fan base that is pissed, right, and frustrated and annoyed that they're five and seven right now because they think it should be six and six probably 7-5 and five with losses to Denver and Pittsburgh in third-string quarterbacks. So, yeah, I, I think if the, the Bengals get off to a good start, they got a shot. And it's it's looking a little better. I mean, Cordy Glenn played well last week. Mm-hmm. I think Joe Mixon uh, starting to settle in now, even though that offensive line is still a little bit shaky. And we all know Andy Dalton is better than Ryan Finley. Like, I know I've been critical of Andy Dalton. Much better than Ryan Finley. So I, I think that gave... The offense, some a jolt last week, gave it some juice. Um, and speaking of juice, Ross comes back to this. I think that they got a shot. Um, it's it's really comes down to two things. One, will Andy don't be able to stay upright? No, Miles Garrett got a good chance at that. And then on the other side, can Carlos Dunlap and those guys have big games like they did last week? If that happens, Baker's got 14 picks this year, so he'll he'll, uh, he'll give the ball up. So I, I think the the Bengals certainly have a shot in this one. And, and, People, some are probably excited. Other fans, not so much to hear that. But I, I certainly think they can be competitive on Sunday. Well, thanks for the time, James. I know you're a busy guy. And uh, enjoy your stuff that you you obviously put out on Twitter. You do a great job. And congratulations on being at the fan for a year, man. That's that's awesome stuff. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Sorry I was long-winded. You weren't. I always get to talk Bengals, so... Uh... When I do, I uh, I tend to go a little bit long. Hey, yeah, I'd have you on. I'd have you on for an hour if I could, man. I I, I love talking to you. So, um, are you going? Are you going to the draft next year? Uh, oh, it, yeah. I mean, that's the plan, of course. Absolutely. Oh, nice. You know, I'm I'm gonna try and get out there. Maybe. I'm, assuming I'm still in Cleveland and they they don't move it from Cleveland, I know they don't plan to. Then yeah, I'm absolutely. Uh, I'm absolutely gonna be there. You know how big of a draft guy I am. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, I might be out there, so uh, I'll let you know, and we'll have to get together, man. <laughs> Sounds good, man. All right. I, I appreciate you having me, and uh, hopefully we're talking in a, a couple months, speaking in a draft about how Joe Burrow is uh, he's going to throw to his new arsenal of weapons in Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Thanks, James. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the game tonight. All right. Thanks, man. See you. That was James Rapine of 92.3, the fan, joining us uh Talking a little Browns Bengals here, uh, the Week 14 matchup. Obviously, you can follow him at James Rapine on Twitter. 
uh, really good guy. He's, um, you know, he's been great to us on this show and uh, obviously great at what he does. And um, he, he covers the Cavs. He covers the Indians, covers a little bit of Browns, used to cover the Bengals and Reds in Cincinnati. So uh, very knowledgeable about the, the sports in both cities. So that's why we wanted to bring him on. We appreciate him making time because he is such a busy guy. He's at the, he's at the Cavs stadium, right? Or Cavs arena right now. I'm um, getting ready for tip off there. So, uh, you know, busy guy, but appreciate him coming on as usual. And as I said, before we brought James on, you can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google play. You can get it on iHeartRadio. You can get it on megaphone. You really, wherever you get your audio podcasts, and then you can get it on our YouTube channel. You can also get it on cincyjungle.com. Join the live recordings of every one of our episodes, whether it's the weekly show, the post-game reactions, listener questions, any of those. Join it. Join us uh, through the live YouTube channel or Cincy Jungle's Facebook page for the live recording. Um, so check us out there and get the other podcasts that are part of the channel as well. A lot of good stuff that we are bringing you. Our thanks to James Rapine for joining us. I'm joined by John Sheeran. John, it, for the first time in 352 days, we get to talk about a Bengals win. Something, something along those lines. Are you? Are you? How are you feeling? It's kind of a weird feeling for me personally, but uh, one in eleven. Yeah, you really could have just said a year because that is that is essentially a year. Essentially. And it really. It feels like longer than a year, and it, it really is insane to think about the last time that they did win was last December, and it was it was a very similar game where you know the you know the, at, at home in a game that didn't really mean nothing. The Bengals just pounded on a team that was far worse than them, or at least played far worse than them. And honestly, it, it, it was surprising to see, and it was great to see that celebration. In the locker room was very deserving for everybody involved, and I think the quarterback said it best. They've been working at this since this spring and it was just many months in the making and i guess if, if any consolation prize is that that guy in indiana the bar under at least he's finally off his roof and in his own bed so good for yeah. him yeah he's not going to catch pneumonia or some damn thing um we're going to talk about that tonight we've got already on uh, queued up an interview with james rapine of cleveland's 92.3 the fan um, for those who are tuning into this live episode, we, we spoke with James earlier. All of that will be available in one episode. It'll also be a standalone interview. So you can download it by yourself. You can download it with the show. Um, but we, we spoke with James is a very entertaining interview. I, I, before we kind of jump into the other stuff, John, I always like talking with James on this show, especially in his position now, because he's kind of got a foot in both in both courts, right? I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's covered the Bengals for a handful of years with ESPN Cincinnati. He's now in Cleveland. So he covers mostly primarily the Cavs and the Indians, but he does do some stuff with the Browns as well. So it's kind of interesting to see his take because he's very knowledgeable about both teams, you know? Yeah. J- James is, James is a good guy. And unfortunately he's now in the dark side of Cleveland, but like <laughs> you said, he, he's, he's, he does have that unique perspective that, it's definitely worth for Bengals fans checking out. So if you haven't listened to that interview, it, it is posted now and definitely check it out. Yep. And uh, our thanks to him because he's a very busy guy. He was at the, the Cavs arena when he, when, when we spoke with him. So um, very cool that, that he joined us on the program to, to talk about that and preview that along with that preview, we've got a win to talk about. What does that mean for the team? 
What does that mean for the draft? What does that mean for Andy Dalton? We'll talk about all of that. And then to continue what we started last week, we've got some 2020 draft prospect profiles to get to, and we'll close up the show with that. As always, you can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. You can get it on the Megaphone platform. We're now on iHeartRadio. You can get it there as well. We have our YouTube channel. All of the stuff is on cincyjungle.com. If you're able to join either the weekly show, the listener questions episodes we do, or the post-game reactions, if you're able to join us live, all of those are streamed on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, so make sure you give that a like and our Orange and Black Insider YouTube channel. So subscribe there and miss uh, don't miss out on any of the action. And then um, if you are so inclined, leave us a review and uh, on, on any of those channels, get the show how you can. Also be sure to download the other shows that we've added to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. There are a number of others, uh, Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk and uh, Orange is the New Black. We've got a, a couple of other shows, great guys doing some great work for this for this podcast channel so check those out as well john as i teased at the get-go here the Bengals are one and eleven one and eleven yippee uh <laughs> they, they beat the new york jets and you know when people I, you know i was hearing all week are the Bengals going to win are the Bengals going to win i i going in i, I kind of woke up sunday and i said yeah they're for sure i just felt it they're going to win this is patented opportunity for Andy Dalton to play well go on one of those trademark Bengals late season runs where it doesn't really matter they're already out of the playoff picture we've seen it happen under Marvin Lewis it's setting up to be a very similar run here two games against the Browns forthcoming another against the Dolphins Um, you know so they've they've got an opportunity to win some games here but let's talk about this game against the Jets I thought it was it isn't it was an impressive win wasn't perfect but it was probably their most perfect game to date that they played maybe the Seattle game up there as well but overall still some mistakes and to me it was beating a very poor another poor team pretty handily on your home turf that that was really my biggest takeaway it was that you know it was good to see the improvement from Andy Dolan to Ryan Finley actually turned out before our eyes you could definitely see a tangible difference in a lot of those throws and part of the reason why you know, they got up so early in the first half because of Dalton's first half. I think he was like 14 for 20 for 155 yards. He had that touchdown. He also had the, the two drops from Uzoma and, and Tyler Eifert. So it could have also gotten a lot worse. But honestly, like the, coming into this game, the Jets were, were rolling. They were 3-0. They scored 34 points in each of those games. And they had a top five defense, according to DVOA for, for football outsiders. And they just looked flat out awful. And, and honestly, that was the, my biggest take. I was like, there's no way this team had won three consecutive games and coming into this game against the only winless team in the NFL and just look flat out terrible. So kudos to the Bengals, kudos to Zach Taylor and his staff. We're finally piecing all the pieces together and formulating what was, for the most part, the only real complete game that we've seen from this team. And maybe it was the spark for bringing back the starting quarterback to really energize this team altogether. But honestly, like I said in the beginning, it was great to see the team kind of rally behind Zach. And you were talking to me about this before the show. Just show a, a genuine appreciation for this new coaching staff, for all the hard work that he's done. He's definitely earned this. And, you know, I, I said it after the game, us fans and us on the show, 
we have the luxury of looking at this team from a big picture perspective and looking at the future. 99% of that locker room and those coaching staff and those players, they don't get that luxury because they're in the business of winning. They don't go wake up every day thinking, okay, we're going to tank. We're going to lose for, for the betterment of the future. They want to win. And they've said that for the past two weeks now. They said it by benching Ryan Finley for Andy Dalton. And they went out and, be, and, and won a game, even though it was against maybe the worst team, NFL team that I've ever seen with my own two eyes. But in their eyes, a win's a win, and they have one on the board now. So I see already uh, so somebody in our live chats here. By the way, if you're joining us on one of those aforementioned live streaming platforms, uh, hit us up. You know, we answer comments, questions on on air. We usually primarily save those now for our listener questions episodes. But you know, we we keep an eye on things. It was Mike Powell. Wait a minute, fellas. The Jets were scoring points, and this defense has been much better. Uh, I, I mean, yes but they were scoring points against the Raiders, the Redskins, the Giants, the Dolphins. Um, so let, let's not let's not sit here saying that the Jets came in as world beaters. Sam Darnold was playing better, did not play well against the Bengals. The Bengals pass rush, by the way, Bengals pass rush was great on Sunday. And it is, did you notice how much better the entire defense played now that the pass rush was there? The Bengals pass rush has been incredibly inconsistent this year. Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, lower ends on the sack totals. Yeah, they they have higher pressure rates, but not bringing down the quarterback for sacks. And you saw that this Sunday, and guess what? All of a sudden, the pass defense gets a lot better. The linebacker play doesn't get as, as exposed as it's been. So that, to me, I, I look, the Bengals played well. Again, I just kind of want to reiterate, the Jets aren't a very good team, and the Bengals took advantage of that. I also want to point out what my co-host John said here. The energy level seemed to be raised with Dalton back into the lineup. And John, I, what I thought aside from, and we'll talk about Dalton in the aftermath of all of that. I thought that what I was really impressed with, and really it's kind of been a tale of the season, even though they've lost, they, they had lost 11 straight. The effort level was there. The energy level was there. Your stars are making big plays. You know, I think that sets a tone, not only for how the players feel about the coach, but sets a tone for the rest of the team when Joe Mixon is just grinding out tough yards and really, really, you know, making making plays out of nothing. Carlos Dunlap, your, your veteran, getting three sacks on the day. Geno Atkins making plays. Your most important your highest profile veterans making plays to help secure the win. I think that speaks well of Zach Taylor's handle on the locker room. Yes, it's only one win. Maybe I'm overreacting. What do you think? Like, I, I, I this team didn't look too much different than the team we've seen in, in the past couple of games. But like, like we talked about, the difference was in the quarterback play. This yeah. defense and his supporting cast didn't have a chance because of how bad Ryan Finley made them. And then they look at this game and you're thinking, okay, this is a team that's that's worse than basically any team that we've played this year. And we finally have a chance because we're going to get better quarterback play. And that was evident from the first couple of drives when Dalton led for that first touchdown drive and almost left for that second touchdown drive. It, 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 Re, it brought back the energy in this team that was basically sapped away in the past couple of weeks. And we thought that this team had a legitimate chance of going to win 16 if they kept the course with, you know, you know, the decision making at, at the quarterback spot. But because they saw improvement in, in that spot, I, I think you're right. The energy levels definitely came back up thinking we have a chance now. We have a chance. My, you know, 
from their own perspective, my great play is not going to go to waste because uh, I'm going to put the hands, I'm, I'm going to put the, the fate of the game in the hands of my quarterback who for once, for once this season, I have trust in actually doing because the team we're playing is so bad. And this is just the right moment to do this because they, they just had a chance in this game because of their quarterback and because of the team they face. So that, that, those efforts, those performances from those from those guys, Tyler Boyd, Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunn, they weren't put to waste. And I think they kind of realized that in the middle of the game, thinking we're we're just playing the, the best that we possibly can. And this is actually going to mean something because we can finally win because we have we have a decent enough quarterback out there to actually do it. And we're going to talk about how to put that in perspective, but I definitely think that was something that definitely clicked with them and how just basically everybody kind of came together and put together some of their best performances of the year. Right. And I thought the energy level being at so high, especially during a home game that featured the lowest attendance, was a record-breaking lowest attendance for, for Bengals fans. There, there were less people in that stadium than there were in the highest uh, attendance game at, at the University of Cincinnati this year. And that stadium only holds like 37,000 people. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the fact that they were the, the, the players were jubilant and showed high effort in front of a, a really poor crowd also says something um, and something to, to be noted. Um, so there is a comment. Gosh, this is a tough, tough one to say. Cool. Cool. is alone. Yes, yeah. We'll, we'll alone, awaken. Yeah, we'll awaken. By the way, that is a, a, uh, I think that, yeah, well the, the character name is a, a, a fictional, kind of science fiction character from years and years ago. So it is a very weird name, but a very creative name. I like it. Uh, it says basically, yeah, who cares? Uh, how many games are, who cares how many games we win now? Obviously quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Um, that's kind of the topic du jour, if you will, John. Dalton played well, really could have had three, should have had three touchdown passes in this game instead of just one egregious drop by C.J. Uzama right at the goal line, wide open, could have walked in. Tyler Eifert, tougher catch, but one we've seen him make. Could have had three touchdowns, could have, would have, should have, right? Um, numbers were still pretty solid, about 240-ish yards, right around 60% completion percentage. So a, a solid day. Could have been a, a really, really good day had those two touchdowns been caught. But a solid day from Andy Dalton. Now, potentially from the Dalton, the pro Dalton camp, there are questions to be made about the viability of Dalton. You got John Ross. It was announced this week. John Ross is coming back. Does this create more of a headache, a possible headache for the Bengals organization, Bengals management in terms of draft positioning, in terms of what you do with the quarterback position? Does this create another bridge year scenario where Andy Dalton is the starter in 2020 and you still draft the quarterback? Yeah, so this is this is really the question that everybody needs to ask. And for all the good that we talked about with Dalton, there is definitely some context and perspective that we need to say. The first question we need to ask, what did we learn from this game? Because learning something implies that we now know something new that we didn't know before. Going into this game, we already knew that Andy Dalton was capable of playing decently against bad teams in games where there were little to no stakes involved. From my perspective, I just again, learned... PM. Yeah, like I, from my perspective, I just learned how bad this Jets team can be on a moment's notice. We already talked about what they were going into into this game and how 
supposedly good their defense was. But again, they look like one of the worst teams in the NFL, maybe the worst team in the NFL that I've ever seen. And the Andy Dolan that I knew has never had any problem taking care of teams that beat themselves over the course of three hour period. And make no mistake, they definitely did beat themselves this game. So no, nothing we saw from this game told us anything new about Andy Dolan. So the status quo has not changed for me and it should not have changed for anybody watching this game. What we confirmed though, is that Andy Dolan clearly has more arm talent in his ring finger than Ryan Finley has altogether. So that was evident every time Dalton threw out the ball outside the numbers. He did make some impressive throws, and we have to give him credit for that. What people aren't talking about enough, though, and I did actually see this in the comments section, was the fact that he went 8 for 17 for only 88 yards in the second half. Now tell me all you want about garbage time and how bad the Jets were and how little the second half mattered. The Bengals were 0-11 coming into this game. They could not afford to take their foot off the gas at any point in this game, and those second-half numbers, they added up. I mean, let's just look around the league from this week. Dalton finished 13th in expected points added per play, 15th in total QBR, 16th in adjusted yards per attempt from a clean pocket, 18th in total offensive grade from pro football focus, and 20th in completion percentage above expectation. Those are pretty average rankings, but this was the first time that a Bengals quarterback beat the opposing quarterback in at least four of those categories, and wouldn't you know, they won the damn game. So yeah, Dolan is better than Finley, obviously, who was way in over his head, but he's still ultimately the same quarterback, and I think this game pretty much proved that, and this is still the same team with him under center, so the plan going forward shouldn't change just because you know of another average game from him. Look, before we get labeled Dalton haters yet again, there are a couple people on Twitter who just say they, they, they're going to quit the show. They're going to quit listening to the show because of how much we bash Andy Dalton and how mean we are to Andy Dalton. Number one, I will say it again if I've said it a thousand and nine hundred ninety nine times, Andy Dalton is a great human being. If there was a guy that I wanted to succeed in Cincinnati, to win playoff games, to win a championship at the quarterback position for the Bengals, it is Andy Dalton. Like John mentioned, and this is his statistics and what he just mentioned is a microcosm of Andy Dalton's career. He is average to pretty good to at times really good to at times below average. And that's all over the spectrum. Yes. So uh, to me, this solidified, like you said, who Andy Dalton is as an NFL quarterback. He'll beat a team he's supposed to beat. He will play well against a team that he is supposed to be at 1 p.m. on Sundays. That's who he is. That's who he's been. Fair or not, if it angers you or not that we say that, sorry, but that's that's who he's been. I mean, that that's just that's who he's been. But I want to say this, not to just totally pile on him and shove his performance under the rug. Congratulations are in order to him for setting records franchise records and career touchdown passes and career completions. He is up there with borderline hall of fame names and and surpassed hall of fame names or borderline hall of fame names, Carson Palmer, Ken Anderson, Boomer Esiason. So him being in those categories is well worth a, uh, a golf clap, I guess for, for Andy Dalton. So congratulations to him, but it was, I had a feeling he would play well after being benched. I had a feeling that it would be not an astronomical day, but a a, very, a a good day's work, which it was. And to me, it just kind of was like a little bit more of the same. Now, I think that had they not made this change and the rest of the team played the same way that they had played the past three weeks, we may be looking at now a four-win team instead of a one-win team. But they went with Finley, and so be it. And now they still hold the number one draft pick in in 
the league. Thankfully, John, the Redskins lost. Mm-hmm. Or, they, they, me, won, the Redskins they won. They yeah. won. Excuse me. They won. The Redskins won. The Giants lost. And the Dolphins won. The Redskins mm-hmm. and the Dolphins both won, which were kind of a surprise. So that basically helps Cincinnati and their draft positioning, seeing as how the Dolphins and Redskins now have three wins. The Bengals have one. Are you worried now that this is going to be a hot streak and potentially spoil the Burrow thing? Or is it just, you know, just let it play out? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of at a loss for, for what, how to approach this thing. So that like your earlier point is something that was talked about. I think after the game, like what what would have happened? Not only if Dalton was benched earlier in the season, but maybe like earlier in his career. What what yeah. kind of what what difference would that have made for him as a as a quarterback, just as a football player, and how much that could have potentially helped him kind of overcome some of his deficiencies? Because like you said, I, I do think the fact that he did get benched, like he kind of played it off. I think earlier in this week he talked about why live in bitterness when you can live in happiness or something like that, which is such a classic thing for him to say. But I think he's kind of lying through his teeth if. You know, he's trying to convince everybody else that he wasn't playing with a chip on his shoulder. Oh, yeah. and there was, there was definitely like I think Carl's Dunlap also said that you know he was more fired up than usual in this game because of the circumstances that happened. So if if he did have gotten, if he did have played against the Raiders and Ravens and Steelers, who knows? Maybe they would have a couple more wins. But but as far as you know, the current landscape of the draft order right now, I do think that if if any team, you know. The, the Giants are definitely the one team I think they can be most comfortable about potentially um, lapping them in, in the draft order, potentially overtaking the top spot because of a couple of things. Because they drafted Daniel Jones last year, sixth overall, because they have such a dire need on the defense side of the ball, so maybe Chase Young becomes too too intact too tantalizing to to pass up in that in that scenario. And because their their general manager Dave Gettleman is not not really the smartest brain. Um, in the NFL, so he might just go with the best player available. If if it is the Dolphins who end up taking over, like that, that is definitely a team that will take a quarterback in, in that case. And maybe Washington uh, becomes more of a variable team because they're going to get a new head coach and because their owner is also a nutcase in their job. So if, if any team, you know, the Bengals should feel comfortable about taking over for the top spot. The Giants are probably the safest team that will bypass on the quarterback. So this week, if, if any team had to win, I think the Bengals should be glad that the Giants did. And looking at the rest of their schedules, I think the Giants play both Washington and Miami to end out end out the their regular season. I believe the Dolphins um, also play another winnable team. Uh, Washington, I think, has Philadelphia and the Giants left on their schedule. So a lot of these teams are going to be playing each other over the over the course of the final four weeks. And I think if each team wins at least one more game, is or hopefully if the Giants win two more games. If all those teams get to four wins, I think the Bengals can definitely Bengals fans, excuse me, should definitely feel comfortable. I don't think four wins is achievable for this team. They still have to beat they have to win three of the final four games. Two of them against Cleveland, one of them against Miami. I don't think they're going to win all three of them. So I think four is the the number for Bengals fans to to think about as, as far as how, you know, can they get beyond just the first overall pick? If they stay at three wins, I think all those teams will be able to get four wins because of the way that they're playing now. Washington has some momentum with Dwayne Haskins. Miami is just this crazy knuckleball team that is capable of <laughs> beating anybody at this point. But really, it, it is the Giants that uh, I, that do present the biggest threat. But also, they're the team that Bengals fans should feel at least the the most comfortable about passing on the quarterback. So right. I think this is the best case scenario. Right. So yeah, I, I think what you're trying to say is there. It, 
the Giants are the most likely potentially to leapfrog them in order, but if they stay put, it's still safe. It's the safest team to leapfrog exactly. them and stay put rather than Dolphins, maybe the Redskins. So let me let me ask you this then, because I think what people are worried about, say the Bengals end up getting three wins and they're they're sitting at number two overall, the Giants are number one overall, and right behind the Bengals are the Dolphins. Yes. Uh, the Redskins, you've also maybe even got the Jets because, by the way, the Giants play the Jets uh, in a couple of weeks, I, I think, or maybe this week. Um, so I, the, the funny thing is a lot of these teams at the top end up playing each other here yeah. in the next couple of weeks. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. But let's let's say this scenario. You've got the Giants at number one overall. You've got the Bengals at number two overall. And then let's just say for the sake of argument, you've got the Dolphins and the Redskins to round out the top four. I think what people are worried about, especially with that head-to-head Bengals-Dolphins game, but it's not the Giants getting ahead of the Bengals and selecting a quarterback. It's the Dolphins moving up to to trade some of those picks to move up ahead of Cincinnati to get number one overall and get that pick. Now, if you are the Bengals and you sit at number two, you know you've got Miami with an arsenal of picks right behind you that is maybe – thinking about moving up long way to go till April. I get it, but something to talk about with these potential wins piling up Does Cincinnati think about making a trade to move up just one spot. Uh, and if so, <laughs> is that the entire draft or what, what does that take to do that? Um, especially with quarterback rich drafts this year and potentially next season. Yeah. Th- it's going to be, so it's it's going to be such an interesting case of tug of war because like the, that was my initial thought too because if the because now the giants have the best chance if not the Bengals then the giants have the best chance of taking that number one overall spot and i'm thinking wow if the Bengals are behind the giants now then the dolphins can use those first round picks that they have to leapfrog them with the giants but then i was i was reminded that the giants general manager david gettleman has like almost never traded down in the nfl draft and how he always likes to stay put he always likes to take whatever best player available or whatever player best fits his current agenda or whatever. So it's like the giants never trade back and the Bengals never trade up in the first round. So it's like, which side is going to, if any side is going to be, you know, tugged, which side is going to be tugged the first. Yeah. Who's going to cave first in this scenario. So uh, because of those two facts is is why Bengals fans should feel the most confident of any team leapfrogging them being the giants, because the giants have under Gettleman have never shown, the the indication that they're they're willing to, to trade down the draft and and potentially uh, lose whatever best player that, that they have and right now you know there's a lot of Giants fans who are excited about the prospect of, of drafting Chase Young and I think that's the general consensus with Giants media but it, it's still very early and at this point last year there was no indication that the Cardinals had any indication of moving on from Josh from Josh Rosen then all of a sudden Steve Wilkes gets fired and. Kyler Murray's former coach in, in college gets hired, and next thing you know, Josh Rosen's trade to Miami, and Kyler Murray is is a Cardinal. So it's definitely not out of the realm of possibilities for the Giants to move on from Jones and draft who, whoever they want at quarterback, whether it be Burrow or, or or Justin Herbert or whoever. So it's still possible, but again, I, I think the Giants are the safest bet of staying at number one and, and taking Chase Young. But like like I said, anything is possible, especially with the fact that the Giants are probably going to fire their head coach. So. Yeah. Like that's definitely a possibility though. Yeah. They, they might be 
you know, they might be moving on from Shermer. The Redskins will be probably, and I, I don't think Callahan's going to get the full-time gig there. So the no. Redskins may be moving on for, you know, a new coach. What does that mean for Dwayne Haskins a year later? You know, I mean, there are a lot of variables here. Uh, you know, who we don't even know. I mean, we think Zach Taylor's going to be safe. As we sit here today, we think he's going to be safe. But, um, you know, we don't even know the direction there. So a lot of variables to still be playing out over the next couple of months, but uh, it still seems as if the Bengals, as of now, will have the pick of the litter in the NFL draft as they sit at number one overall. The team does beat the Jets 22 to six. Uh, I saw something else there, you know, uh, talking about Dalton. I, you know, I'm not a Dalton backer, but I saw him do some things on Sunday that uh, we haven't seen. I, I agree. I mean, I saw him extend some plays that really he didn't do that um, this the, earlier this season. He's done it before in the past at times, but you know, I can think of a specific pass to C.J. Uzama down a sideline where he kind of floated one over the, the defensive back and into Uzama after evading pressure. He did some of those things. He did some things in this game that he did not do earlier in the season, and he played arguably his best game, maybe second best behind Seattle, depending on how you want to look at that. But, um, you know, good for him. He kind of said, see, I told you, I guess, for a week, but uh, that doesn't mean that that quarterback isn't off the discussion table for the team next spring, that's for sure. Anything else before we move on, John? No, like you said, like th- those are things that the Bengals would say, hey, other 31 teams, Dalton can do this now. Would you, what, 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 what do you want to trade for him for? You know, yeah. his, value, his, value, his value can only go up from this point, and I think he definitely improved his trade value going forward, and it's going to take a lot more – better performances in these final four weeks to really convince uh, the Bengals front office to keep them around for longer than the next year. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. We've been talking about the Bengals win over the jets. We've also spoken to James Rapine of 92, three, the fan in Cleveland to preview the game against the Browns coming up this, this week. So definitely check out that interview. It was fun talking with James and catching up with him. You can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. You can get it on Megaphone. It's on iHeartRadio. And you can get everything on YouTube and CincyJungle.com. Let's, before we get to our prospect watch, John, let's just kind of, uh, in case people are unaware, let's just go through a couple of news and notes and just chat about those for a little bit. The big news, um, let's start with, Michael Jordan getting some extended playing time on Sunday. Again, a little bit of a offensive line shuffle, um, seeing what there is to see there. I mean, I, I think you had written up a nice post on, um, it was the rookie report talking about his return at left guard. What did, what did you like that you saw there? So it was a lot of, it was a lot of what he did. He's done well and what he still needs to improve upon in, in this game was like a microcosm of who he is as a player right now. He had a really tough matchup going up against Quinn Williams, who was the third overall pick from this year's draft. Who Williams has had a really a, a quiet rookie year, but I think he had probably his best game in this game. And I was primarily going up against Jordan, but Jordan, I think his his best plays were, were in pass protection where, where he, he was an uncovered lineman and he was helping out either Cordy Glenn or Trey Hopkins to his left and right in, in pass protection. He had long stretches where he was, he was cleaning that department. And in the, in the running game, he was great in first-level blocking. He was great at driving uh, either Williams or Steve McClellan off, off the line. The biggest issues for him right now is just staying engaged w- with defensive linemen and getting into the second level of, of, 
with, with the right angle. He, he is such an explosive athlete, and he's able to get into the second level, get into space so quickly. And I think that's why the coaches loved him at the position overpriced because he gives them that athletic upside at the position. But once he gets to the second level, he still has zero clue what to do. And so many times throughout this game, he was he was overshooting linebackers and linebackers were getting out of his frame too easily. And it was one of the reasons why Joe Mixon had a tough time in this game rushing the ball. The Jets have probably the best run defense in the NFL right now. And going into this game, the Bengals should have known that. But there were there were definitely opportunities where Jordan could could show that he was improving upon that weakness, but it's still definitely a weak point in this game. But overall, there wasn't anything catastrophic from him in this game, and I think that's definitely a sign of progress for him. There were definitely long stretches where he was showing improvement in pass protection, and he did see the upside in his run blocking. But again, getting a more controlled second level bl- blocking play from him is going to be what you know allows him to take that leap into a solid player. Yeah, it's almost like a, he's – and maybe it's just because it's his age. I mean, he's I think he's the youngest player on the Bengals roster overall. But, uh, I mean, it's almost like he's a giant athlete playing offensive line. Instead of right. he's a true technician offensive lineman, he's just this big athletic guy, and he can get by with the fact that he's athletic and he's big and he's strong, but he's got to learn – the, the positions he's got to learn the NFL game. Maybe he does it. Maybe he puts it fully together, but it's, it's almost like an athlete playing offensive lineman other, you know, rather than a, a true, you know, by trade offensive lineman technician type of guy, but interesting stuff there. I also, I mean, not that he's playing super outstanding, but Cordy Glenn coming in there and what a difference he has made, at least from not giving up three or four sacks a game on mm-hmm. the left side. Yeah. And uh, I mean, even just playing okay is a gigantic leap forward for the entire offensive line. I thought I thought he did pretty well. Again, not outstanding, but I thought he was above average. He was Cordy Glenn. I mean, that, right. that's he was basically who he's been his entire career to me. And I thought that that had a, an effect over the entire offensive line. I, I think so too. I think him and Bobby Hart had pretty much the same game. They were both really solid in pass protection, but neither are going to be road graders in the run game. That's kind of surprising for a guy like Glenn, who's 6'6", 345. He just doesn't generate a lot of movement at the line of scrimmage in, in the run game. And, and that's always been kind of a weak point for him. And especially again, going up against a, a stout union in, in the Jets defense, but also the Jets have nobody at edge rusher that anybody can name. In fact, I think their highest graded edge rusher from this game was Jordan Willis, who only played 10 snaps. Yeah. So yeah. they just have no bodies at the position. So kudos for Glenn and, and Hart, but also it was an, it was definitely a matchup that they should have dominated, and they did, so good for them. Yep. Uh, the other piece of news is that John Ross is activated once again off of IR. Um, he, along with Darius Phillips, have been activated as IR return guys and in doing so, they let go of Damian Willis. Damian Willis uh, had a drop last week, I think, against the mm-hmm. Jets. So, real rise to prominence for him, but a kind of a fall from from grace for Willis. You know, what do you expect from Ross coming back? Are, are you expecting more of what you saw the first couple of weeks? Or are you expecting a guy that's just going to kind of be there? Or the peaks and valleys that we're used to with him? Peaks and valleys, for sure. But it's also just the fact that he's replacing Alex Erickson in the lineup. So you're taking out 
the least explosive receiver that you have, I guess, aside from Monte, but a guy who doesn't doesn't offer any sort of vertical throw, who can't win downfield for a guy like John Ross, who the defense and specifically the next defense that he plays, Cleveland, they have they have to account for. And he, he's been practicing for the past three weeks, and this is the first week that he can be counted uh, against the active roster. And because of that, they had to replace their they had to get Willis out of, off the roster. So just his presence, and we've talked about this before, his presence does make a difference. Whether or not that ends up in the box scores remains to be seen. But I think a lot of people forget that uh, he was tied for eighth amongst receivers in receiving yards before he was on IR. So he definitely had a great start to the season and it looked like things were going to trend up for up for him. But unfortunately the injury bug kind of hit again. And that's been really the story of his career. But it, it, it's not like it's not like a Billy Price situation. You know, he is constantly injured, and that is something to monitor. But at least when he has been healthy, now it looks like things are coming together for him. So it's just a matter of him just staying healthy. So maybe maybe that production kicks back up again when he's out there. He's going to have Tyler Boyd and, and Tyler Eifert and Auden Tate to kind of help him out out there. But he's going to add a dimension to the offense, and it'll be inter- interesting to see how quickly he gets reintegrated back in, especially against a tougher matchup in, in Cleveland secondary, who has at least guys that you can name aside from the Jets. Yeah, gigantic year for John Ross in 2020. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it really is because it's going to dictate whether the Bengals want to use that fifth-year option. Um, it's it's a big year coming up for him next year and what the team wants to do. I mean, he was rumored to maybe be traded when Zach Taylor came aboard this year. I, I, I tend to think that's not going to be the case Next year, I think they're going to kind of try and see what they got out of him, especially on kind of a semi-affordable rookie deal. But, um, you know, a big year for him coming up. And and big last couple of games. He's going to need to show that he can he can be more durable. He can still stretch the field, make those explosive plays. But he should be back this week after suffering a uh, – I think it was a cl- uh, clavicle uh, type of injury. or a, Stern- Sternoclavicle. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah, so one last thing uh, on news and notes before we get to our prospects this week, John. Um, your best friend, Jim Turner, uh, may or may not have been called out by Joe Mixon. There was a – well, not called out, I should say, but after Joe Mixon scored his touchdown and had a decent game against the Jets, at least as decent as that offensive line would allow him to have, he sought out Frank Pollock, his line coach from last year, and the guy who helped – who was partially responsible for Mixon having his first career 1,000-yard season, led the AFC in rushing yards last year. He sought him out after the game, apparently. I don't know if he gave him the the touchdown ball or just kind of made sure he sought him out and kind of thanked him and all of that. I thought that was a very interesting and hidden tidbit of information coming out of that game. Yeah, I think when it was announced that Pollock wouldn't be coming back or – Whatever whatever the headline was, whether it was Pollock decided to leave or Taylor didn't want him back or he, he left on his own, it was mixed. And I think he was the first to really respond in a negative way. And you in he was also at the end showing support for, for his coach. And like you said, how, how much of an impact that he had on Mixon in his second year when he was so successful, that remains to be seen. And it's kind of I guess between him and him and um Frank Pollock. But yeah, Pollock was was hired very quickly by the Jets when he was let go by, by the Bengals. So there's obviously still some type of connection there. And, you know, it, it was it was Mixon's uh, second touchdown of the season. So it's obviously a step going forward for him. So I, I, I don't know if it was more of a slight towards Turner, whether it was, I guess he was just showing respect and paying homage to a coach that had a lot of impact on him very early in his career. Mixon is definitely one of the more emotional guys who, you know, 
values relationships with with his fellow teammates and with his coaches and if 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 Pollock had that type of impact you kind of kind of knew there was something going on there with with, with how he reacted to, to Pollock leaving so it, it was good it was good that they had that that moment and it, it's good that um you know Mixon still values that that relationship and that friendship that he, that he shared so it's good for uh, Pollock to still be a part of that in, in that sense yeah Pollock did I mean he did a lot out of basically not very much at the end of last exactly. year. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I think that was, while I think a lot of us wanted some some coaching staff turnover, I think that was one of the coaches that we had hoped maybe stuck around for another year and, and see what he got out of it. But anyway, kind of some interesting news and notes for the Bengals going into week 14 against the Browns. John, let's get to some, uh, let's get to some rookie – some 2020 rookie prospect previews or prospect watch, whatever you want to call it. We should, we should probably have a proper name for this segment. <laughs> but um, last week I had Michael Pittman Jr., the white wide receiver out of USC. You had Samuel Cosme, the offense lineman out of Texas. Correct. Next week we will be joined by uh, Brent Taylor of the Alabama, the SB Nation Alabama site. He's going to help us talk about Tua Tagovailoa and maybe a couple of other Alabama prospects, but mostly Tua since the Bengals seem to be on the quarterback hunt this this year. And we'll be uh, joined by a member of uh, Addicted to Quack. I love, oh my gosh, I love that. Stuff. <laughs> uh, the Oregon site of in the SB Nation network to help, help us talk about Justin Herbert and we'll be joined by other guests down the road. So look forward to that next week as we record. Uh, both those guys will give us some great insight on both those quarterbacks. So the quarterback stuff will start next week. This week, I'm going to switch gears from offense to defense, and I'm going to talk about uh, Kenneth Murray, the linebacker out of Oklahoma. And I'm going to go first, John, because I know you've watched this guy as well. So potentially if I leave some things out about him uh, you you can you know chime in a little bit based on some some limited film I've watched and some people by the way some of our listeners talked about him last week and so we kind of, they kind of stuck him on our radar a little bit I mean we obviously knew the player but we kind of said you know what let's let's maybe look at him based on some suggestions that we received from some of our listeners so we pay attention to you guys I promise. Kenneth Murray, you know, well, well built guy. I think he's about 6'2, 245. Played a little bit of kind of an outside linebacker ish role. He's kind of, he's going to be an inside linebacker, I think, at the next level. As I watch tape of him, John, he flies around pretty well. Uh, he's a, he's a solid tackler. He does make the occasional wow tackle. Um, so I, I like all of that. One thing I, I, that sticks out to me as I watched some of his tape is that hit the sacks he's accrued, the big tackles for losses, all of that. It's not him sitting back at the middle level of the defense, waiting, diagnosing and shooting a gap and getting in there and making a play. He has to be right on the line. Uh, I know mm-hmm. now, sometimes, you know, you're going to move guys around. I noticed that a little bit in Jermaine Pratt's college tape because he moved around quite a bit on defense. They had him rush the passer off the edge. Occasionally he would play out in space. He, he would move around and do a bunch of different, he was a former safety Pratt was. So, I mean, they allowed him to, to do that. But when I, when I looked at the tape, the sacks, you know, they came 
kind of predictably when he was lined up on along the defensive line, the tackles for loss wasn't really a diagnose. Uh, you know, he didn't diagnose the play, shoot a gap from a few yards back and tackle the ball carrier. It seemed to be mostly stuff that he was stacked at the line and just kind of fought his way through some blocks or kind of sneaked past some offensive linemen to go unblocked and make a big play. Now, I don't want to say that's a major deterrent necessarily for him, but you know, that's, that's something I noticed on some of his big plays. Speaking of the big plays, they, they are a little limited. Uh, No interceptions in three seasons, only one forced fumble in three seasons that, and that was in 2017, no fumble recoveries in three seasons. So uh, a, a little bit of a limit, in terms of the big plays, the wow plays. However, um, with still probably, I, I believe, a at least a game to play, um, Oklahoma still has, like I said, a, about a game to play. He has three sacks this year. He had four and a half last year, so seven and a half total sacks the past couple of seasons. So he can get after, after the passer a little bit. A sure tackler, sometimes he'll over-pursue a little bit. I've seen some people compare him to like a Thomas Davis. I've seen some people compare him to, to other, you know, other linebackers out there. I think he's a promising prospect. I think the highest he would probably go is maybe a late one, high two. I don't think he's as wow of a prospect as like a uh, – uh, the Edmonds kid that the Bills got a couple of years ago. I don't think he's, you know, he's not going to shoot off the charts athletically like that. Um, but I think he's a very, he's going to be a solid pro. I think he's going to be a solid linebacker. I don't think all pro, I don't think perennial pro bowler, but I think that that is something the Bengals need. I think Pratt has shown a little bit of stability. I don't think he will ever be as good of a player as Kenneth Murray can be in the NFL, but Pratt has given a little bit of stability to the defense. Pratt can maybe, you know, be a guy you lean on for the next couple of years as a linebacker. You bring in a Murray, you can kind of switch around those guys, have them do different things. And I think all of a sudden you've got a couple of linebackers to raise the Bengals linebacker group from below average to well below average to at least – average to maybe even above average by bringing this kid in. So that's th- those have been kind of my observations of Murray as an Oklahoma Sooner. I don't know if you have any additional insight on him because I know you watched some tape on him as well. So the one thing I love about Murray is his production. It's something yeah. I value so much at the linebacker spot is production, specifically solo tackle market share. Last year and 2018, I think he accounted for 13% of Oklahoma solo tackles right now, he's at 11%. 11% is really the cutoff when in terms of separating just starting potential linebackers and Pro Bowl potential linebackers. So two years of really high quality production is great. I know it's in the Big 12. I know you know there's a lot to say about that and whatever, but um, the production is definitely there. He, he flies all around the field. Great sideline to sideline speed, like you said. Uh, he's been more on the, the outside linebacker, the weak side linebacker spot. So he's been able to roam free in space. The one thing I don't, like about him or think he needs to work on uh his tackling form is definitely not very sound he goes high a lot and sometimes yeah. it gets him he gets him into trouble a, a lot sometimes so 
you, you got to think like, you know, if you're making all these tackles, but you're also missing some in the process because you're going too high, you're not wrapping up at the legs. It could be something to watch for. It could be something where maybe that doesn't necessarily translate that quickly into the NFL. So definitely a great athlete, definitely productive as always in the right spots. He reads his keys very well. He reads his keys all the way through. He doesn't always you know shoot the gap he thinks is going to be. He make he, he knows what he's looking at. He knows, you know, where to go and knows where to be. And that's why he's able to produce so many tackles. So definitely an intriguing prospect. And it's going to be drafted somewhere around the guy I'm going to talk about. And, and even if, you know, last week I talked about Cosme, who's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, this guy, he's a true junior, but he's he might, he might also not declare for the draft because of certain factors. He's Willie Gay Jr. He's a linebacker out of Mississippi State. Um, he's Again, he's a true junior who has only played four games this year. He has minimal starting experience. He's not even a full-time starter for Mississippi State's defense, but there is still a lot to like about this guy. As a, as a high school player uh, back in 2016, he was also he played quarterback as well as linebacker uh, for his high school, and he also set a school record for 325 rushing yards in a single game as quarterback. So wow. definitely, there's definitely some athletic promise with him. He was a four-star recruit. And he had the choice between LSU, Michigan, amongst other schools. He decided to go with Dan Mullins, Mississippi State, who has recruited a ton of great defensive players when he was he was there. I think Mississippi State last year had the number one defense in the entire nation. That was his most productive year, his most active year. Unfortunately, this year he's only played in four games because he was injured. He was suspended from, I think, academic probation. He's dealt with some injuries that has kept him off the field. His first actual drive in the season was against Kentucky in late September. And on that drive, he had a pick six. Now, Kentucky, obviously, I hope our boss, Jason Markham, doesn't hear this, but Kentucky's football is not very good this year. And unfortunately, that they didn't play very good in that game. But it's a testament to the type of value that Gabe provides. And he's probably the best coverage linebacker, according to, to pro football focus in this year's class. He is the highest coverage grade last year. I think he was graded 90.6 for the 2018 season. And this year, I think he's graded also in, in the high 90s as well. So that's that's the value. That's the asset that Gabe provides to, to a team like the Bengals who sorely need it. He's a raw athlete in space. Now, when I say raw, I mean he's lightning quick, lightning fast. He's able to switch his hips, run with a scene route. He's able to accelerate on a dime. He's able to match up with routes going over the middle, going over his head. He's able to stick on the guys, but he's not the most balanced athlete, right? He, he doesn't click and close very cleanly. He doesn't stick his foot into the ground. He's able to kind of get off balance a little bit, but he just he's able to be in position and he's able to make things work. He a, Not a lot of passes that come his way end up getting complete. He's able to be in the right position for, in, for the pass to go inaccurate, to make a play on the ball. I think he has the lowest passer rating when targeting, according to PFF. So again, coverage, coverage-wise, that is where his value is. But also, you know, for praising that value of his, that comes with the downside, and it's the fact that he's not very physical as a run defender, and he is going to miss a lot of tackles. But again, that raw athleticism allows him to be in the right position, even when you know initially he may read the wrong key or he may be in the wrong fit. He's able to you know accelerate to whatever point he needs to go. And he just kind of gets the job done because that's that's kind of what those raw athletes do. Like they they are just able to be in in certain positions where other athletes who may read read um, plays a little bit better. They're just a little bit too slow to get in. So a raw athlete in space again, the coverage production is definitely there. But the another problem with him, he hasn't been on the field very much, and because of that, his production as a linebacker has also been very shoddy. I think he only has a he only had a four point seven percent sold tackle market share last year when his first. Uh, full season as a starter and again he's only played in four or five games this year so definitely doesn't have a lot of experience doesn't have a lot of production to his name and because of that 
he might decide it, it might be best to return to Mississippi State. But if he goes and enters this class of linebackers who we're going to get into more depth as, as the process goes on, but it's not a very uh, top heavy like it was last year with guys like Devin White, Devin Bush, who were yeah. our first rounds. There might only be one first round linebacker in this class, uh, a guy that we may even talk about uh, on this program in, in the coming weeks. So th- this linebacker class can be very thin at the top, and it's where a guy like Gay can potentially arise towards the later part of the process because he he has the one value that teams are looking more and more at the linebacker position for. It's the ability to defend the pass. And when you, when you have a guy like Pratt, who might be the only linebacker on this team that's on the roster in 2020, his biggest weakness this year has been covered. He's been a, a very fine run defender, a very explosive run defender, but he's been lost in coverage so many times. That's why it's been a long time for you know defense coordinator Anarumo to trust him to play significant snaps. A guy like Gay is not going to start week one. He might not even start his first year, but you can put him in situations um, on, on passing downs on second and long and third and long, yeah. put him on the defense and just just tell him to, to, to just tell him to guard the zone. Just tell him to match up with the tight end. Tell him to match up with the slot receiver. Tell him to match up in some, in some type of deep intermediate zone and just and just take it away because he, uh, out of basically all these linebackers that are entering this class, he might be the guy that's able to just get the job done the best. And the production is definitely not there. The experience is not there, but the athleticism is there. And the, the the ability to take away some intermediate zones and coverage and the ability to, to latch on to those intermediate routes, that's definitely there. So I don't know where he gets drafted. Honestly, it could be as high as the third. It could be as late as the sixth, depending on what his overall profile ends up being. But he has an asset that the Bengals need. And if he does declare, he's going to be an interesting name to watch. So I'm going to piggyback uh, and, and say some things about Kenneth Murray that uh, both based on what you said about him and uh, some some questions we've got in the in the live chat about uh, so Ken Ken Fetcher says can Murray cover a tight end? My answer to that would be not particularly well. Uh, from what I've seen, he's got five total passes defended in the past three years, three in 2019. And from what I saw on film, uh, I mean, he would kind of sit in the middle of the field and he'd knock away a pass or two and. You know, I, I don't see him running necessarily well step for step with a tight end and covering him. Um, maybe unlike Gay, who who seems to be a bit more athletic in that front. Um, uh, so I don't I don't know that I would be overly comfortable putting Kenneth Murray necessarily on a tight end regularly. Um, but I, I could be wrong about that, John. Um, the other thing I just wanted to mention, based on your you know your production comment about Murray. 155 tackles in 2018, 71 solo. So that that kind of plays into what you were what you were talking about with him. Your thoughts on Murray in coverage, as well as I mean, it sounds like you think you're more confident in Gay in coverage than you are Murray, based on athleticism. Yeah, like uh, Murray, I think might actually end up running faster than, than um yeah. than it does. I think NFL draft NFL draft scout has like a four five seven for Murray right now, and you, that's definitely evident on film. And you know, I, I, Bengals fans specifically are are so um, intoxicated with just taking away tight ends, and on, like it, it's not the same as it was you know five years ago when this when this issue really came up for the Bengals and how the you know the tight end was really starting to revolutionize the passing game. But now the tight end is being used more 
diversely in passing games they're being used more as wide receivers they're being in the slot they're lining up out wide it's more than just having you know whatever strong side linebacker you have line up against an inline tight end and and taking away whatever route he has it's not always up to a specific linebacker to match up with him make coverage it's more because teams are more you know dependent on zone coverages and they rely on on more just overhang defenders maybe strong safeties to, to handle that role so i don't know if matching up and taking away tight ends specifically is an asset that Bengals fans need to watch for linebackers. But I think when given the right opportunity, an athlete like Murray can do that. And especially a guy like Gay can do that in certain, in certain situations. It's more about just being disciplined in your zone and and being able to to cover a a certain amount of ground in a certain amount of time, because, you know, NFL defenses now are designed to basically allow stuff in front of them and collapse on it closely because offenses are getting so much smarter and in creating mismatches with whatever athletes that they have. So it's almost impossible to go up in man coverage all across the board, um, especially when offenses are, are going into more 10 personnel, more empty looks. It, it stresses out the defense even more, which which puts defenses more in zone coverage and takes them out of man coverage in that situation. So it's not necessarily about which linebackers can match up against tight ends um, yeah. in, in whatever zone coverage you have. It's just about you know having guys reliable to, to trust their eyes and being in the right spots and, and taking away the big plays while allowing some short plays in front of them to happen. But both those guys can collapse down on, on plays in front of them quickly. It's just a matter of can they can they finish in, in tackling and whatnot. And that's an area that both of them kind of need to work on. But in terms of being great athletes in space and and providing you know coverage in intermediate zones, I think both those guys can handle that. Yeah. Well said. I mean, there's not there's not much really to add on that. You 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 hit the nail on the head there. And uh, I mean, I think like like you said, really, it's not always going to be up to a linebacker to cover a tight end, a pass catching tight end. Maybe sometimes here and there, but it's going to be that's kind of a by committee thing, uh, right? In the NFL these days. But obviously, the Bengals need linebacker help. That's why we both decided to go to linebacker this week. Uh, I, I see, <laughs> I see. Dave Lennox says kicker i actually almost previewed a kicker today believe it or not i did I, I i promise you i did and we may do that down the road but um yeah i i almost did but we decided to go linebacker this week uh and as we go to to quarterback next week anything else you want to add about these guys john yeah P- peter nephis in the comment section do we need a linebacker coach Our, the current linebacker coach is tem lukabu who came from none other than Mississippi State. So there could be a relationship between Lukabu and, and Gay itself. So I, I didn't even think about that until now. So I don't know if they're going to get rid of Lukabu. Um, I, I think they're going to give you know this entire defense a clean slate of linebackers, and Pratt might be the only one who survives. So if that is Lukabu who, who's going to oversee the the, the 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 rebuild of that position, it, it could be a guy like Gay who, who he definitely knows from college. Where do you see uh, this? Where do you see both these guys going? I said I th- I thought Murray was probably a, a, a top of two, um, you know, probably a second round guy. Where do you see Gay going? Again, like it really depends on what the NFL looks at him because he had that suspension, he has had injuries, and if he does declare, he's going to be a very inexperienced three year player, and that could either plummet his draft stock, but it could also intrigue teams saying that this guy might have more upside than what, what is originally perceived. And again, having that asset of being a coverage guy, it could propel him into maybe even the third round. Like right now, if he finishes, you know, the season strong, I think, I guess Mississippi State only has like one game left in his pool game. So <laughs> if, if he does have a strong performance there to, to close out the season, maybe he declares and he winds up somewhere in the middle to the top of the third round. So it's definitely not going to be a first round, probably not going to be a second round type player, but you know, we're talking about the Bengals who haven't drafted a linebacker 
above the third round since I guess Ray Malaluga. So it could be in the range for where they might look at it. Yeah. I, I mean, this position group is hard to, to predict where they end up. I mean, everybody in the, in their mother, I, I mean, I had them in the second, I think second round when I, when we did our mock draft, Mac Wilson, everybody in their mother thought he was a second rounder, maybe third rounder. And he fell what all the way to the fifth or sixth round. Mm-hmm. Fifth. Uh, so, you know, it, this is a hard position to predict, especially for maybe guys that are viewed as a little bit more limited four three inside guys or what have you. Um, it's, it, you know, if, if you can only play one or two downs or perceived to be able to play one or two downs in the NFL, you're not going to get taken on day one or two. So that's just, that's the reality of it. Uh, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this podcast on any number of audio uh, platforms. So get it there. Check out our YouTube channel. Check out cincyjungle.com for all the news, opinions, analysis, this show, everything. That website covers a bunch. John, we went a little long this this week, but uh, I don't know. Anything else you want to add before we jump on out of here? It's a great show for not covering the actual game coming up next week. I know you did that with James, obviously, but real quick, I know there's, there's some Bengals fans who want to win. There's some Bengals fans who want to lose. Regardless, the outcome can be, can be positive in either way because a lose potentially gives the Browns more confidence in Freddie Kitchens, who looks way in over his head. So regardless of the outcome, I think the Bengals are still going to be in decent shape for the long term. Good call. And our thanks to James Rapine for joining us. Uh, he's with uh, 90, 92.3, the fan in Cleveland, formerly of ESPN Cincinnati. So our thanks to him for joining us. John, thank you for your insight. And uh, thanks to all of our live viewers and to all of those of you who listen to the program after the fact. We appreciate it. We will see you next time. Enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. Take it easy. to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals you can just use hubspot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier imagine this high quality leads fast closing deals wildly happy customers and more benchmark breaking quarters it's not a miracle it's hubspot visit hubspot.com to get started today